Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for March 9th. I'm Ruth Brown. On Wednesday, Senate President Pro Tem Chuck Winder, Senate Minority Leader Michelle Stennett, and House Minority Leader Ilana Rubel answered questions from reporters about everything from sales and property taxes to higher education funding. They also covered controversial bills regarding libraries and gender-affirming health care for minors. Here's what they had to say. Hey, everyone. Uh, it looks like Speaker Bedke is not able to join us. Uh, his chief of staff said that he regrets uh, having to miss it this time. But anyway, we do have the other three lawmakers here, legislative leaders for um, the Idaho Press Club's legislative luncheon. Uh, as usual, uh, just like last week with the governor's breakfast, we'll give each of uh, the representative and senators time to kind of give their thoughts on the legislative session as it's happened this year. And then we'll open it up to questions. Same kind of process as last time. Uh, you know, you can raise your hand, message me, um, or do whatever type in the chat that you've got a question and I'll go ahead and call on you. Um, I'll also go ahead and give, uh, TV folks permission to record as well. Uh, and just like last time, I'll also forward on um, the recording after it's been uploaded to the website. Uh, so I guess without further ado, uh, let's start with uh, the House side, uh, since we only have one of you, Representative Rubel. Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think a lot is remains to be determined, determined in terms of how the last two weeks uh, shake out. I entered this session really optimistic about a lot of the proposals I saw in the governor's budget. There were, you know, good things to see in terms of increases to higher ed, education, infrastructure, housing, all of that. Um, and I guess, you know, we'll never know until these budgets clear the House floor as to what's actually going to happen. But I, on the positive side, I was very pleased with the, uh, the work we did on getting benefits to teachers. Um, the proposed budgets that are coming out right now for education look promising, still to be determined whether we'll get full day kindergarten. Um, but uh, I, I am certainly frustrated on several counts. Uh, so the House has taken a hard turn into social issue warfare uh, that feels kind of destructive and very unproductive to me. Um, we, you know, the other night they passed a bill to uh, incarcerate librarians for materials in their collection that might be deemed harmful to minors. Um, there's all kinds of voting stuff. One of them actually got sent back to committee because it would have literally disenfranchised tens of thousands of legal Idaho voters. Um, there's, you know, the, the, transgender business that would, you know, make, turn parents into felons um, if they, if they give, you know, medical transition treatment to their children. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of issues that are concerning me. I'd love to see us get back to focus on education and property tax reduction. All right. And Senator Winder. Uh, thank you very much, James. Appreciate it. And, uh, Welcome everybody. Uh, it's a pleasure to do this again this year. Uh, I think from the standpoint of the Senate, uh, we're fairly optimistic that we're going to accomplish uh, practically all of what uh, Governor Little proposed in his State of the State address and leading Idaho pr proposal. Uh, there's still some work to be done as budgets are advanced and uh, brought through the process. Uh, Friday will be the end of the uh, budget setting. Uh, they tell me they're on time and that they'll have the appropriation bills printed and out on time. So if that's the case, uh, two weeks from this coming Friday, we should be out of here. Much to the relief of, uh, I think, a lot of lawmakers and uh, folks at the Capitol alike. 
I would imagine. There's, there's no end to the joy when we leave. There you go. There you go. Uh, Senator Stennett, hello. Good afternoon, and thanks for having us again. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, it's uh, I do echo both uh, other legislators. It, it, uh, we're hoping to get out of here by the end of March. Um, it is, in my estimation though, our appropriation bills seem to be, um, we, they were slow in coming. So it's good to see that they're finally hitting both our calendars because that is the one sole thing we're meant to do when we're in session is make sure we balance the budget. Um, on the Senate side, no disrespect to the House side, um, we typically don't blow budgets up, so hopefully we will make sure that um, we um, have a smooth transition on our side for those appropriations and, and honor the good hard work that uh, the uh, Joint Finance and Appropriation Committee has worked really hard to accomplish. Um, that said, I do feel that uh, we are uh, not doing what the people told us to do when we came here, and that is as property tax relief. Uh, I think that we have spent an extraordinary amount of time on generating more voter bills than I think I've ever seen in my tenure here. And, um, and it is everything you can think of. And um, in my estimation, um, much of it is destructive and, and suppressive to the voters. And anytime that that happens, um, I am, uh, we will defend voter rights um, as strenuously as ever. Um, but that is what is, uh, has been getting a lot of, of attention um, at this point. I think we need to be doing things that give people as much relief uh, with their economics as possible. And we seem to be talking less about that. And we did promise that we were gonna um, serve education better. And um, one of the, the early learning and uh, kindergarten bills have uh, um, been uh, debated and beta, but we haven't seen things to be voted on, which I hope before we leave, we do what we came here um, to talk about. Uh, the other thing is, is uh, it saddens me always deeply when we want to show so much hate and anger in our legislation. And some of the stuff that's being generated is, is just uh, either at the very least disrespectful and at the most hateful. And um, I, I think that when we think about how we should be treating each other, we should take a, a page from what Ukraine is doing right now and say, show how a nation can coalesce together under extraordinary hardship and be resilient and strong and show the fiber of what we can do to um, show um, that we care about each other and, and that we are in this together, whatever this is, as far as a nation of us working together. And um, it uh, is discouraging to see um, the kind of legislation that um, is not hard, what, what some people are doing within our communities isn't harming others. And so why are we actively going after them to be harmful back? And so um, I think we're gonna have to have that debate because that's what's coming before us right now in the next couple of weeks. But uh, I hope as the good Senator, the pro Tem Winder said that we do what we came here to do to help the most amount of people and then leave. <laughs> so hopefully we'll do that by the end of the month. Great. Uh, I, I still haven't seen any hands raised or messages saying that y'all wanted to ask a question. So I guess I'll take the first stab. Uh, since Senator Stennett mentioned property taxes, uh, a question for you all. Uh, just philosophically, how do you feel about uh, raising the state sales tax uh, to, 
I guess, what would be the highest in the nation uh, for a state anyway, um, to sort of offset some property taxes, given that uh, maybe lower income folks who are renting uh, wouldn't necessarily see the benefits of that, aside from if landlords decide to decrease their rents uh, in you know, conjunction with their lower property tax bills. And I guess uh, first I'll send that to Senator Winder. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's a real interesting question. The current uh, tax bill that's before uh, the committee uh, deals with raising the sales tax approximately two cents uh, per dollar and then deducting that uh, from your property tax. So if you own a home that's uh, under a homestead exemption, you would get uh, probably about a two thirds to perhaps as much as 75% reduction in your property tax. Uh, everyone else that doesn't own their own home uh, will uh, not get that reduction and they'll be paying the additional two cents. Uh, you know, they're gonna try and raise the grocery tax credit to try and offset that, uh, but that's just the grocery tax credit. If you have to buy any large items, um, equipment, that type of thing for your business, uh, sales tax can uh, be a huge part of it. So I think it's still got a lot of work uh, to be done on it. I think that uh, one of the things that, that I'm hearing now in the background, it isn't uh, a real hard drum beat yet, but that's to do an interim committee and really take a look at our whole uh, tax structure, but whether we can get the house to do that or not, I don't know. Got it. How about uh, you, Senator Senate? Well, I I think philosophically, and you hit on it um, uh, in your question, is why would we do something that impacts um, negatively impacts and makes more of a hardship for those who have lesser means? those that are renting, um, groceries, and, and so on, to the benefit of those who have enough means to own a house. And, um, and on top of it all, when you add, factor in like in, in resort areas, we already have local option tax on them. So are we gonna put it up to eight or cents, 10 cents, um, which makes it extraordinarily difficult in, um, in a period when we're trying to regroup from, from COVID and economics and workforce and housing and all the other things that we should be paying attention to uh, is uh, it's just, uh, just uh, it, it, the, the tenor of it is to tell people that those that have the most should get the most benefit out of this bill. Um, and I just feel like that is um, going at it incorrectly. But uh, just the, uh, the, and then the other thing is, is it just pushes, you were talking about the high price tag things. If you have no sales tax in Oregon, you're just going to have people going across the border to purchase things. And that will be another impact to our businesses. So I just don't see any benefit, uh, meaningful benefit from this bill for the greater majority of Idahoans. And your thought, Re Representative? <laughs> Many thoughts. I mean, I have, you know, as I sit here, I can think of five fatal flaws with, with this bill and what it will do. And that's before you get into the other unpredictable things and you know un, unforeseen fallout. But the five things that I see as you know being absolute reasons why we should not be going down this path. I mean, first, 
it puts um, our vital local services, police, fire, DMV, all the, all the vital services that people count on, onto the most unsecure source of funding possible. Um, this is the most elastic, sales tax is the most elastic thing in a downturn. People stop buying stuff and that source of revenue will crater like a sledgehammer to a souffle, as Elon Musk would say. Um, but uh, it just, you know, I don't support defunding the police. I think this bill will defund the police, at least in the first sign of a downturn, there will be no reliable funding. It's so much less reliable than property tax. Um, secondly, renters, I think it will substantially drive renters' rents up um, because they're not owner-occupied. They would not be let off of property tax, those properties that they occupy. Um, so when counties are looking to make up the lost revenue, they only have one place to turn, which is raising property taxes. And the only places they will be able to raise property taxes are on commercial and non-owner occupied. So it will actually substantially drive up. Not only will renters not see the benefit of this, I think they will see very substantial harm um, because the properties they occupy will be the only place to turn when it comes to jacking up property taxes. Um, it certainly will hurt retailers. I think any retailer within 30 miles of a border is going to get slammed. Um, there is, well, there's no state in the country that would have a state income tax as high, but most of the states around us are more in the 4%. I know Washington's six and a half, I think, but some of them have no sales tax and some of them are more in the fours range. Um, and I guess that's part of also the problem because this proposal on the fiscal note assumes that sales will remain completely static when we raise the, the, the sales tax by 33%, that you know we'll be still be selling the exact same amount of stuff that we're selling at 6%. We won't be, sales are gonna drop. And so I, I don't trust those revenue projections at all. I think they will bring in a lot less money because people are gonna be crossing the border for all their major purchases. Um, and I guess, you know, I guess my fifth problem with it is that it's just profoundly regressive. Um, you know, the sales tax is the most regressive form of taxation. It is most predominantly paid by low income people. And here we are going to be saying, you know, no tax on people that have 10,000 square foot mansions. Um, and all of that revenue is going to be shifted instead onto the backs of lower income people, um, which I just think, you know, mor morally, I'm not happy with. Um, so I think for many, for many, many reasons, from pragmatic to principle, I think this thing is a disaster and should be abandoned. But I guess on local option, I think it would kill any hope of us ever getting local option. There's no way, even if we were to change the law, that anybody could layer on a local option tax on top of an 8% background tax. All right. Next up, uh, Kelsey Mosley Morris, uh, Idaho Capital Sun. And then on deck is Bill Spence from the Lewiston Tribune. Hey, thanks for doing this. Um, I just had a question about there are several bills that passed the House in early or mid February that haven't gotten a hearing in the Senate side yet. Um, several that were pretty controversial about prohibiting rental fee regulation. Um, some things about monument removals. And I was just wondering, are there certain topics that um, the committees have been told not to really take up this session or um, is there still time to do those? I'm just wondering kind of what the holdup is on those. Yeah, I might take that up. Uh, we don't really tell our chairman uh, what to put in their drawer or not to put in their drawer. Uh, if they ask us, we'll share our opinion, uh, but, uh, there are a lot of bills, probably more so than uh, the normal, that are uh, in drawers around our side of the building. I think most of them will stay there. Um, so I don't think you'll see any, uh, you know, some of the craziness that uh, 
that the House seems to like to do get very far in the Senate. I'll jump in. I want to thank uh, the pro tem for that. That's music to my ears. Um, there were quite a number of things that were sent over by the House that justly belong in drawers, and I am really hoping they stay there. But the rent, that rental bill was one of them. My understanding on that, the House Bill 442, that would have preempted any possibility of regulating regarding you know, abusive rental practices, is there was a follow-on bill that would have at least put into state law some basic protections um, against those abusive uh, rental application fees, and the House killed that. So to me, you, you can't strip away the local ability to regulate and then refuse to take on any, any abusive practices at the state level. Um, so it would have been one thing if those two were paired together, but given that the offset was killed by the House, um, I think it would just be punishing renters to, to, no, to no avail. Well, I'd agree with uh, the pro tem that um, much of what happens in committee is at the prerogative of the, of the uh, chair. Um, and so whatever they choose to hold or bring forward um, are the result of a lot of discussions they have that I'm not privileged to. But, um, but that aside, uh, more, probably more than, again, than I've seen usually, there have been competing bills on both House and Senate side that say almost nearly the same thing, with maybe a few nuances of different or a small percentage of different, but really very similar content. And I think that is an effort for everybody, because if we're looking at a 45%, probably 50% turnover in the legislature, it also all for purely political reasons that everybody's generating all of this stuff for discussion and say they had their fingertips on it, instead of really getting together and working together about doing a meaningful bill that both, both sides have sat down and come to some kind of consensus. So um, just to, the redundancy is unnecessary. And I think at some point we have to just say, we already have one out there that looks like this. Let's just pick one and vote on it. And the other one has just got to sit there because for us to be doing this, um, the, the same type of bill, regardless of whether the Senate or the House has generated it, um, it, it just needs, it, we can't be entertaining all of it and it's unnecessary to do it if there's similar language. All right. Uh, next up, Bill Spence, then Kevin Richard, and followed by Betsy Russell. Thank you, James, and thank you to the leadership for doing this meeting. Um, I guess this question is primarily for Senator Winder, but also interested in your other uh, uh, people's opinions on it. Um, Senator, last year, one of the primary uh, uh, focuses of the Republicans in both the House and the Senate was the proposed constitutional amendment that would allow the legislature to call it back itself back. Um, and uh, as we know, last year ended up being the longest legislative session in history. This year, as uh, some of your Democratic colleagues have noticed, uh, there's been a series of bills where uh, lawmakers are, uh, uh, you know, uh, trying to create felons out of uh, uh, librarians or parents or uh, other uh, groups. I, I'm curious whether you think the legislature is making the case that that's a good constitutional amendment. Well, I think, Bill, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, I think, you know, at, at the height of the pandemic and the height of the emergency orders, um, the height of all the federal money coming in, I think there was a lot of interest in being able to uh, 
get back into session. The public was hollering at us, why don't you go do something? We saw small kind of splinter groups try and hold their own sessions. Uh, we said they were unconstitutional and illegal and, you know, fought back on them. Um, but one of the things that, you know, that I want to remind everybody is we're one of 14 states that has no ability to call itself back uh, really under any circumstance. Uh, and I think that that's important for people to understand. Uh, they can holler at us all they want, but if we can't get back into session and do anything, it doesn't do us any good. Uh, and, and we were a little bit at odds at the governor, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. So I think the, you know, the, the constitutional amendment still speaks for itself. Uh, it's a pretty high bar when you have to have 60% of the two bodies agree upon the subject matter. Um, I think that's the control in itself. And uh, so I, I think it's, it's pretty well framed. Uh, I'm hope that uh, people will be supportive of it. Senator Stanett, uh, oh. Representative Rubell, either of you have thoughts on that? Oh, well, I guess, oh, you, you go first. Senator. No, 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 I'll follow. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we had that, that session, you know, I think we had kind of a dry run of what this would look like last year when the House refused to adjourn and they recessed instead so that they could call themselves back at will, uh, which they then did in November, um, which was an absolute mess. I think there was not one piece of viable legislation brought. It became, it became kind of a shout fest. Um, it was, you know, I, I think if that was the audition for, uh, for the real thing, I, I, I think it, they kind of failed the audition. Um, so I don't know how, I'm not particularly excited about this amendment. I feel like our current system has been working very well. And I'm concerned about opening the door to the potential for a year round legislature and for the kind of chaos that would ensue when we're brought in without, I think, sufficient direction and without the knowledge that the governor supports the agenda. I agree with Representative Rubel. Um, as you notice, 105 of us can't stay on the same page for most things. And if we're needing to do this because we're trying to do something meaningful or nimble or come back for something that is urgent, um, I would like to think that we are capable of doing that together, but we haven't shown ourselves to be able to. Mostly we use it for bomb throwing and for us to come back and just create more mischief rather than to come back to do something that is urgent or needs immediate addressing, um, I'm not sure this legislature is capable of. And so uh, not to say that in the future sometime we um, are more predisposed to uh, doing our jobs more collaboratively together, but given what we've seen last year and the last couple of years, I just don't see the, the political will to, to do what I think this, um, this uh, uh, amendment is hoping will do. So uh, I, I, I just, I don't, I'm, I don't think we're ready for that. And I think that um, I would hate for us to come back so that we could use it for political platform or posturing or bomb throwing or something that isn't constructive. And I just again, point out that uh, the biggest issue that was going on in the first year of COVID was the billion dollars that came into the state that the executive branch uh, said uh, they basically had the ability to appropriate and spend that money uh, pretty much any way they wanted to. And the legislature was saying, no, that's our constitutional duty. Uh, he could have called us back in, said all we're gonna deal with are the 
uh, ARPA funds, uh, the relief funds, uh, and that's all we would have been able to cover. Uh, but he didn't want to do that at that time. And so I think there are legitimate reasons from time to time when the legislature has to be able to fulfill its constitutional duties. And you also have to remember that most, if not all of the emergency powers that are given to the governor originate in the legislature in code. So in order to deal with some of that, uh, the legislature has a legitimate reason. And my greatest hope someday is that the Idaho legislature will see itself as a legislature and uh, not a branch of the executive or, or a facilitator that uh, there are gonna be times uh, when we have to act like a legislature and protect the constitutional rights uh, of the body. Thank you. All, right. All right, next up, uh, Kevin Richard, Idaho Education News, followed by Betsy Russell and then Melissa Dablin. Thank you all for making the time to do this. Uh, this is a question for Senator Winder and it follows up on Kelsey's question about bills that have passed the House and have not been heard in the Senate. The House Monday afternoon passed House Bill 666. This is the harmful materials bill that could lead to prosecution of librarians, uh, school staff. Senator, is this bill gonna get a hearing in, uh, in the Senate or is this one of the bills that you don't see the chamber picking up? Uh, I, again, I do not see the chamber picking this one up. I don't see it getting a hearing in committee. Uh, I think it's very appropriately numbered 666. Uh, if you understand the symbolism of the number, uh, you know, I think it's mischief and uh, something that uh, doesn't need to happen. We asked uh, where'd they get the information, you know, where they, you know, they're saying this information is in our uh, libraries. Uh, so you ask them specifically, where did you get this information? And you never get a straight answer other than, it. well, we found it in Idaho. Well, where'd you find it in Idaho? How prevalent is it? Uh, we have a tendency to ask a lot of questions in the Senate. And uh, I think in this case, uh, 666 is not likely uh, to be heard. I assigned it to state affairs for a good reason. Uh, so hopefully it'll go there. Uh, but we're going to, we'll talk to our caucus about it. We'll make sure they're aware of uh, what the options are, but I don't think it advances. Bless uh, you, Senator. Senator. Do you have a comment? Oh, I'm just extremely happy to hear that. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll bring some chocolates over to Senator Winder. <laughs> our caucus doesn't want it, so they have a heavy lift on our side. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, looks like next up, Betsy Russell and then Melissa Davlin. Well, this is Betsy Russell and, and thank you all for doing this. I was going to ask a question about the competing circuit breaker bills that have passed both houses, but given um, Senator Winder, your answer to the last question, I'd sure like to follow up and say, what about, I believe it's 675, the uh, trans youth treatment bill, is that one likely to get a hearing in the Senate? We haven't really discussed it over on our side. Uh, uh, we just got it, but I think um, like 666, I don't think there's uh, significant uh, drumbeat for it. Um, you know, I think there'll be some that will want to see it happen uh, for whatever their reason might be. Uh, 
if I were a betting person, I would give it pretty low odds of advancing. I'd like to, Betsy, talk about uh, the circuit breaker bills. We have the competing bills. The Senate one was 200%. I think the House is 150%. When we talked to all of our counties, um, they said that when we passed the, the tax bill um, last year, we inadvertently dropped so many people, particularly fixed income folks, um, that uh, our seniors, our um, veterans, people with disability and so on. And they all said, unless you bring it to 200, you will not reclaim those people that drop through the cracks. And so um, that was the reason why the Senate chose that number. Um, and then as far as it pertains to 675, I think I said in my beginning opening that, you know, we have so much, um, suicide and uh, and kids who are feeling um, disenfranchised and we're in a really, really difficult period post COVID with our with all of our children, but um, to um, to treat families and parents and and kids of any kind, but particularly those that are on the margins in society for for not supporting them and, and instead demonizing them, I think is just um, hateful. So I would hope that it had gains no traction. Representative Rubel, did you want to weigh in on either the competing circuit breaker bills and or 675? Well, uh, I agree. I would much rather see the Senate version of the circuit breaker bill proceed. Um, you know, I mean, it's sadly, neither one of these actually improves much the property tax situation over where we were a couple of years ago. Both of these are just attempts to fix the damage done by House Bill 389. Um, and I think uh, Senator Bayer's bill coming out of the Senate does a better job of repairing that damage that kicked thousands of low-income seniors off of the circuit breaker. And I would like to see you know, more of them brought in, um, but I don't know how that stalemate gets broken. Um, on the transgender bill, obviously deeply, deeply concerning. Um, I certainly hope this bill goes nowhere in the Senate, but I still think substantial damage is done just by virtue of it having been brought this far and of you know coming through the House um, I'm hearing from a lot of families with transgender kids who are traumatized by this and are wondering if they need to leave the state. Um, I have a friend with a transgender child who's away at college. The kid does not want to come home um, to, you know, the, the, the family is devastated. The kid is now refusing to come back and live in Idaho because of these um, profoundly hostile messages being sent. Um, so I think even when they don't become law, uh, these bills do deep, deep damage. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's incredibly disappointing to me that, that such a thing got this far. Uh, I know families that have gone through this. It's profoundly traumatizing to, I mean, the, the number of thousands of hours they've had to go with doctors and therapists and, you know, spiritual advisors and everybody to get to the point where they're finally comfortable moving forward with medical treatment. Um, and then for the, the legislature to just completely run roughshod over them, or at least the House, I shouldn't say the legislature. Um, it just feels very un-Idahoan. It feels like we're sending a message that we don't believe in autonomy, parental rights, any of that. Uh, and I think it's, uh, I wish these things would never get off the ground this far because it does profound damage. Um, but I, I certainly hope that the damage is not compounded by actually passing through the Senate. But I'm, I'm delighted to hear Senator Winder's words on that. And Senator Winder, may I ask you about that stalemate on the two different versions of the circuit breaker fix? One has passed the Senate, one has passed the House. Neither has been taken up on the other side. Are we going to end up with nothing to fix that? Uh 
I don't think you'll end up with nothing. I'm very hopeful that the momentum is moving towards the 200%. Uh, that really is the way to get the most people back on the on the tax relief that they need for their homes. Uh, so I hope that's where it ends up. That's what we're working with the leadership with on the house, trying to build that support and people are working on it. And I even think, shouldn't speak for the house sponsor, but uh, you know, I think the house sponsor wants to get something done and I don't think he would be opposed to the 200%. Uh, so I, I think there, I think it'll get done in one way or the other. All right, uh, Melissa Dablin, uh, Idaho Reports. Betsy took both my questions. So um, I, I'm wondering what you're hearing from your House Republican colleagues about the higher education budget. Is it in as much danger as what we saw last year? I'm assuming we're gonna see a repeat of a lot of the debates, but is that budget gonna go down? To whom was that addressed, or all of us? Everybody. Uh, so I guess I'll start with that, the House side and then turn it over to our senators. Um, you know, I think the, the proposed budget, I, my understanding is the proposed budget may, knock on wood, have a decent chance of clearing the House. Um, now, many are, are pretty frustrated with it because of its drawing down the uh, higher education stabilization funds, which in principle, kind of doesn't seem like it makes any sense. You know, when we have a year of record surplus, why would you drain the rainy day fund when the sun is out? Um, but my understanding is there were just certain players in JFAC that would not allow it to move forward in any other way. Um, but that with, with that money in there, I, I'm not sensing a huge amount of pushback, um, but we'll see. It's not gonna pass by a lot, but it might squeak through the house floor as it is. Uh, we shall see, you know, another, Thing that might differentiate this year from last year is that um, you know it is an election year, it is a redistricting year. Uh, people need to get out for their primaries. They know a higher education budget has to pass. Um, they know every time they kill a budget, they're keeping us here for an extra couple of days. Um, and I know that you know I think some of the the budget detonators in chief here on the house side certainly have uh, pretty pretty hot primaries to go home to. So I'm hoping that there will be some incentive there uh, to move the train along rather than do things that will just keep us here for weeks longer. Um, but you know, I've been wrong on these things before, so we'll see. Yeah, I just say from my perspective, I haven't heard the same rhetoric this year. Uh, I haven't heard the same concern of our JFAC members that deal with the education budget. Uh, this was already a hot topic last year because of uh, all the things that were being said about what was being taught um, in our higher education system. I haven't heard that as much. Um, IFF seems to be focusing because it's an election year uh, and they're, they're such a great think tank that they've uh, decided just to attack individual uh, House and Senate members for uh, crazy reasons, but that's that's their choice, I guess. But I don't I don't think you're going to see a push to actually reduce funding for higher ed. There'll be some that'll vote against it, but I don't see it going into the big battle it went into last year. And realizing that I can't remember the exact amount that they wanted their. Uh, piece of flesh last year, but it didn't end up, they didn't get what they wanted. 
because the Senate pushed back on it, uh, and we tried to get to a to a compromise on it that worked. So I haven't heard those same arguments this year. My understanding from speaking with my Joint Finance and Appropriation Committee members is a lot of the nuances, the line items, the language, um, intent, and all of that is really being duped out in the in the JFAC negotiations. Um, I don't see it as overtly um, uh, outside of that arena. Um, there is a little bit of mischief inside, but they are working it out and trying really hard to, to um, uh, accommodate and come to some kind of consensus. And so from what I can gather, that kind of debate is going on in the, in the appropriations sector. Thank you. Betsy took Melissa's questions. Uh, she took my question. And thankfully, Keith Riddler with the Associated Press uh, has one of his own. So I, yes, Heather, there's a little in questions, but I thought I'd ask this one. This morning in House State Affairs, where they considered the, the Texas-styled abortion law, um, Representative Chris oh. Mathias made a comment, not uh, particularly about that one, but just all about the you know criminalizing, criminalizing librarians and the transgender bill. But I think also for the, the abortion law. And, he, and the term he used was um, the Christian Taliban. He felt Idaho lawmakers are trying to impose their religious beliefs and Idahoans in general. And of course, he's maybe talking a lot about his constituents, but that seems to be um, maybe something that's out there. I'd be interested in get, getting your thoughts on that. Is our Idaho lawmakers maybe, you know, imposing their religious views on Idahoans in general and, and some of these laws that are they're putting forward? Well, there's a lack of consistency in what we deem as being our right, our health right, our right for anything. Um, and they're in complete opposition to each other. We go through having our freedom to not wear masks and to um, be able to not be vaccinated, but it isn't our right for reproductive health health or and so um, we're we want to give freedom here but no freedom there and um, all of these bills are we we're, we want freedom for this group and sometimes they're not even the majority they're a, a, a group but we want to penalize and 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 negate and ostracize this group and there it, there just isn't any um, it, it, it just shows real, real bias and no consistency. And so we have bills that are, are demonizing and criminalizing so many different sectors and others aren't held accountable at all. Um, and, and I think that that is just a, a very dangerous mixed method and it isn't productive. It's not good policymaking. Um, we should be doing stuff that helps the greater majority of Idahoans equally. That's what we're supposed to do in good policy. So I, I, it's just mind bending. And also I would argue so much for political reasons right now, it's not unprecedented. We've done this in prior years, but really, and, and 13909 is one of those along with many others, passing things we know knowingly are unconstitutional. We have all kinds of attorney general uh, opinions. We have outside attorney opinions on these and we still pass them anyway, which is just, they're gonna fight it in court. We're gonna waste taxpayer dollars in a period when we're needing housing and workforce. And, um, and uh, you know, we're gonna go into an inflationary period. Why are we wasting money on stuff that's ideology that is not constitutional? And, and it just, it's fiscally irresponsible. Well, this is one of those issues we get into every year 
Um, it seems like we have to have a gun bill, a water bill, an abortion bill, um, you know, a few of those types of things. But I think there is a distinction between uh, the examples that uh, Senator Stennett gave and I think what motivates us that are probably uh, more pro-life, and that is there is a life involved. Uh, there's two lives, in fact. Um, when they talk about vaccine mandates, uh, that was individuals. Um, the, uh, whenever there's a, an abortion, there's a life taken. Uh, we're, I think in the pro-life movement, we're hopeful that at some point in the next uh, five, 10 years that the Supreme Court will actually uh, take up some cases and, and deal with Roe versus Wade, because I think there's optimism now uh, that uh, maybe Roe versus Wade can be limited or even turned over. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that just at my lifetime, uh, I think about, you know, abortion and, and uh, various issues related to it was uh, we didn't have ultrasounds. We didn't have the technology uh, back in, the, in those time periods that we have today. And when you can actually, uh, you know, take an ultrasound, when you can use other means of uh, diagnosis uh, with technology, uh, it becomes quite apparent that uh, this isn't just uh, a glob of cells, uh, that this is actually a developing human being. And I think at least me, me personally, one of the reasons I got in the legislature was to uh, speak for those that can't speak for themselves. And, and pro-life issues are really important to me and to a vast majority of the, of the majority legislature. And I think uh, I even had a meeting this morning with a young person that called themselves a millennial. And uh, they were telling me the things that they cared about. And one of the things was life. And uh, they, because of the technology, they see it differently than we saw it when we were their age. Um, getting back to the original question, I, uh, I've been very disturbed by the trends and the profound inconsistency that we're seeing here, um, where actually a lot of, you know, there, there was certainly a, a breathtaking inconsistency between the position on vaccine mandates and uh, masks and all that, um, and on the uh, choice issue. Um, I think that the vaccine mandates very much had to do with other people's lives. That's why employers were, in the, were, were putting them out there because they were trying to protect their other employees. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's very much something that impacts people other than the vaccinated. Um, and, uh, you know, I heard debate on the floor on that bill that would have you know, made perfect sense in an abortion bill on the other side where, you know, we had a representative standing up forcefully saying, you know, your body is your castle, your body is your ultimate fortress. It's outrageous that the government would ever tell you what you can and can't do with your body. Um, except of course, <clears throat> she meant that in the context of vaccines and would completely take, <clears throat> pardon me, the opposite position um, when it's the abortion context, where I believe she would say that absolutely the government should be forcing women into involuntary pregnancies and childbirth. Um, so I see a deep, deep discrepancy there. Um, it is what it is. But, um, you know, Idaho, I thought, was always a place that prided itself on minimal government. Um, but time after time, we're seeing here in the, on the House, um, the very heaviest hand of government imaginable being imposed on the most intimate and personal decisions. 
uh, and certainly that, you know, the transgender bill, it, all, all of these, I think, are really falling in that category of wild government overreach um, from a body that has always paid lip service to doing the opposite. All right. And it looks like uh, Betsy Russell, we have about five minutes left. Uh, we want to respect uh, the legislative leader's time, um, especially this close to the end of session. Fingers crossed. Uh, so, Betsy, uh, go ahead. Okay, we've got the closing of the candidate filing period coming up on Friday. We already have some contests shaping up between incumbents. I guess I'd like to ask all of you how you think the tone of this year's session has been affected by the political environment that we're in and, the, and this moment with the election looming. Um, well, I certainly see it big time in the house here. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's not just the, the battles between incumbents, but I think it's, you know, everybody that's facing a primary battle. Um, I think those freedom scores have more clout in the House. Well, certainly a lot more clout than they should. Uh, you know, any bill that comes out with a negative score, everybody knows that it's in trouble and you're going to have to just, you know, work your tail off to try to get that bill to survive, no matter how obviously beneficial that bill is. Um, it's fighting an uphill battle as soon as it gets its you know, labels slapped on that by this arbitrary unelected organization. Um, but I think those scores are seen as being, you know, dispositive in primary elections or something. Um, and they, they drive way more of the dynamic here than, than they should. Um, but I think a lot of the bills we're seeing, you know, they, most of the things that have taken our time up this week are totally useless to the average Idahoan. I mean, the, the average Idahoan and what they need in their daily lives, they need lower property taxes, they need you know, an affordable higher education to send their kids to, they need child care access, they need affordable housing, they need all these things, um, which are completely off the agenda while we're sitting here ranting about locking up librarians and incarcerating parents of transgender kids. And I mean, things that have no on the ground impact on people. But I think these hot button issues are seen as being, you know, great things to thump the table on in a primary. Um, so I think unfortunately, a lot of the dynamic is driven by that and is unfortunately not being driven by the actual daily needs of Idahoans. Well, and I agree, go ahead, go, go ahead. ahead I agree with Alana, um, much of what we're seeing and is being generated is, is political posturing in my mind. Um, they are a way to define themselves because it is free press um, to be able to do it in the building and and um, be able to promote your platform from here by doing the work, whatever you're doing in um, is evidence in this building. But also uh, from the, I come from a very diverse district and um, because of redistricting, we're all trying to learn our new district lines. And I think a lot of, uh, I'm hearing from many people in um, South Central Idaho are going, I'm sorry, but what you guys doesn't are doing there doesn't make any sense. I mean, they're just, it's just horrified for the same reasons that Representative Rubel mentioned. We wanted you to go there and do this. And how does anybody um, want to jump in and, be, and, and run for an office where, in a building that seems so dysfunctional? Um, it, it really is... Uh, uh, you know, we want to encourage good, solid, thoughtful, um, uh, civil legislators, and we have to behave like what we wish to bring to the building. So it's uh, it's unfortunate that uh, in a in a very um, 
hugely transitional year, we're not uh, that that we. I would hope that we would behave as we wish those that come and join us would behave and and have a more productive uh, future legislative body. Yeah, I would just say in relation to redistricting, uh, the Senate's going to change by about a third for sure. Uh, that's assuming just the retirements and people running for other office. Uh, so there probably could be more than that. Uh, there'll be some people that will uh, not win their reelection. Uh, so there'll be other new people here as well. Uh, I think from the standpoint of uh, the whole issue of uh, finishing up the session, people want to do that. Uh, they want to get out and campaign. Every one of us, except maybe District 34, is different. Uh, and so you've got, you know, new people you've got to meet, uh, new areas you've got to walk and talk to people. And, and so it's going to be an interesting challenge to, one, get us out on time and then to be able to go out and campaign. Uh, some of the bills that you see are probably uh, things that they can say, well, see, we passed it. And those guys over in the house just killed it. You know, they're all a bunch of Marxist liberalists, you know, liberals. And, and uh, so that'll be the battle cry. And we see it already uh, going on around the state that uh, these really ultra conservative groups, you know, anybody that doesn't agree with them, they're going to attack them and uh, try and uh, get us out of office because they see that as the way to, to get their point of view uh, taught in schools, their point of view to be uh, managed in the private sector. And uh, I think people just need to wake up. And there are a lot more people that are just trying to do their, uh, raise their families and have a business and go to school and get educated and raise families. And, and uh, if they'll get engaged, if they'll pay attention, uh, we can stop what I consider a fairly dangerous swing to the far right, not conservatism, to the far right. Alrighty, and with that, uh, we're right at one o'clock. Uh, once again, thank you, uh, all three of you for once again, agreeing to be part of this. Uh, it's always enlightening to, you know, get your perspective and answers on things and uh, you consistently make news on uh, these calls with us. So just wanted to say thank you. Uh, and Betsy, I believe you had an announcement for uh, the reporters on the line. Yes, just a quick announcement. Cross your fingers. We are planning an in-person gala Idaho Press Club Awards Banquet on April 30th. And we are also bringing back the um, Institute for Journalists on Covering the Courts. That will take place on April 30th. It's going to be an extremely high quality professional development training program. If you look in the chat, there's a link for the registration form. I would strongly encourage anyone who ever covers the courts or supervises anyone who covers the courts uh, to consider participating. And thank you all so much for, for being here today. Thanks for listening. For more on Idaho Reports content, head to idahoptv.org slash idahoreports. Idaho Reports airs Fridays at 8 p.m. on Idaho Public Television and is available online after it airs. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.